Open your Bibles with me to Philippians chapter 2. Philippians chapter 2, as we continue our look at Paul's letter to the church at Philippi, we want to remind you one more time where Paul is. He's in jail. He's under house arrest. He's chained to a guard. He's staying there for two years, and during that time period, he wrote some letters, and this is one of the ones he wrote to the church at Philippi. His circumstances are less than favorable, obviously. He can't go do what he wants to do, um, but he is doing the best he can and allowing God to work in some amazing ways, even though he's finding himself in this position. We see that Paul was rising above the circumstances over and over again. He is faithful, and he is willing to serve, and he he is ministering. Now, remember, and I want to remind you of this often as we do some of these things here, that this is a letter. Paul wrote this to a group of believers in a place called Philippi. So as we look at these different things and as we read these different verses today, think in those terms. Think in terms of imagine Paul writing this. God's wisdom being poured out in him and him actually physically writing these words. Imagine somebody standing in front of a group of people in Philippi and reading these words from their friend Paul. Think in those terms. And, and when, you, when you read the Bible like that sometimes, some of the things that are said and some of the things that you see, they, they kind of make a little bit more sense. And so we want to remind you of that. So we want to look at chapter 2, beginning at chapter 2 today, and, and remind you that we're just kind of doing a, a quick glance at these chapters and pulling out some neat things in these chapters as we go through the prison epistles for the next handful of weeks. So today we're in Philippians chapter 2 and beyond. Chapter 2, Paul writes these words to these folks in Philippi. Therefore, if there's any encouragement in Christ, if there's any consolation of love, if there's any fellowship of the Spirit, if any affection and compassion, make my joy, make my joy complete by being of the same mind, maintaining the same love, united in spirit, intent on one purpose. Do nothing from selfishness or empty conceit, but with humility of mind regard one another as more important than yourselves. Do not merely look out for your own personal interests, but also for the interests of others. Have this attitude in yourselves, which was also in Christ Jesus, who, although he existed in the form of God, did not regard equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself, taking on the form of a bondservant and being made in the likeness of men. Being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. For this reason also God highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name which is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee will bow of those who are in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and that every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. So then, my beloved, just as you have always obeyed, not as in my presence only, but now much more in my absence, work out your salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who is at work in you, both to do and to work for his good pleasure." Do all things without grumbling or disputing, so that you may prove yourself to be blameless and innocent, children of God above reproach in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation, among whom you appear as lights in the world, holding fast the word of life, so that in the day of Christ I will have reason to glory, because I did not run in vain nor toil in vain. But even if I am being poured out as a drink offering upon the sacrifice and service of your faith, 
I rejoice and share my faith with you all. You too, I urge, rejoice in the same way and share your joy with me. But I hope in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you shortly so that I also may be encouraged when I learn of your condition. For I have no one else of kindred spirit who will genuinely be concerned for your welfare, for they all seek after their own interests, not those of Christ Jesus. But you know of this proven worth that he served with me in the furtherance of the gospel like a child serving his father. Therefore, I hope to send him immediately as soon as I see how things go with me. And I trust in the Lord that I myself will also be coming shortly. But I thought it necessary to send to you Epaphroditus, my brother and fellow worker and fellow soldier, who is also your messenger and minister to my need, because he was longing for you all and was distressed because you all heard that he was sick. For indeed, he was sick to the point of death, but God had mercy on him, not only on him, but also on me, so that I would not have sorrow upon sorrow. Therefore, I have sent him all the more eagerly, eagerly to you, so that when you see him again, you may rejoice that I may be less concerned about you. Receive him in the Lord with all joy and hold men like him in high regard because he came close to death for the work of Christ, risking his life to complete what was deficient in your service to me. So we're going to start at the end of this chapter because what you see is the personal nature of a letter. You see Paul writing a bunch of things to the church at Philippi and instructing them about the deep, deep things of Christ, some deep theology here about what he did. You, you have him writing about how they should live and behave and hang on to this and that and believe that God is doing this thing and that thing. And then he turns and he says, uh, you know, I want to send Timothy to you shortly. You know Timothy. You remember Timothy. He worked with me. Timothy's a good man. And, and, I, and I want to send him to you because I want you to know that Timothy's the one that has helped me out and stayed with me and been a friend. And, and so he'll be really good for you. And so Paul turns it and makes it very personal here. He says, I want to send Timothy to you. And then he drops down. We'll come and talk about Timothy a little bit later. He drops back down and he says, And I thought it necessary to send to you Epaphroditus, my brother and fellow worker and fellow soldier, who is also your messenger and minister in my need. Chances are this fellow named Epaphroditus came and from the church of Philippi to Paul and delivered some things to him and ministered to him and helped out on behalf of the church of Philippi. And somewhere along the line, he got sick. He got deathly sick, incredibly sick. And he got sick because of what was going on for how he was living for the, the Lord, his work in the gospel. We don't know the details. We don't need to know the details. We know that he was doing something and he got sick and it was a terrible situation. And we know that the Lord, it says, took care of him. He says he came close to death for the work of Christ, risking his life. But the Lord took care of him. And the Lord did not allow him to die. It says in verse 27, God had mercy on him. And so I'm going to send you back Epaphroditus, and he's going to deliver the letter. He's going to be the messenger, and I hope to send Timothy. And, and by the way, in the midst of this, you can also see the personal nature of this letter when Paul says, I, I want to send him to, him to you as soon as I see what's going to happen to me. And he says in 24, and I hope that I'm coming to you very quickly also. And so it's kind of cool when you read this and, and you remember this is a letter. And, and it's inspired and God is using it in our lives, but we have these personal things every once in a while and it's kind of cool to remember that. So let's go back up to verse 1 and begin here and, and work our way through this. Therefore, if there's any encouragement, you can also read that because there is now encouragement in Christ. 
because there is consolation of love, because there is fellowship of the Spirit, because there is affection and compassion. In other words, Paul is saying this, hey, dear, dear friends, because God is doing so many great, wonderful things in your life, because God has proven himself over and over again, because God has poured out to you over and over again, because God is one who has ministered to you and given you what you need for life, because of all those things, live in these ways. He says, he says, because of what he's done for you, I want you to live the way you're supposed to live. Never forget who saved you. Never forget what he's done for you. Never forget the work that he's poured out for you. Never forget the grace and the mercy and the compassion and the kindness, the forgiveness that is yours from God. Never forget those things. Always be reminded of that. Always remember. Get up every morning if you need to and start your day off by saying, God, I just want to reflect upon what you've given me. Let's review here for a moment. Wow, it's quite a list. I'm going to do my best to live for you, God. You are so gracious, so kind, so wonderful. I'm going to live for you today. That's what Paul says that they ought to be doing. Let's look at verses 3 and 4. We get into some incredible, incredible verses here that talk about um, the deep theology of what it is that Jesus Christ has done for us. He says in, in verses 3 and 4 that our approach, that we should do nothing from selfishness or empty conceit, that ties into two about be united in spirit, maintain the same love, regard one another as more important than yourselves, do not merely look out for your own personal interest, but also for the interest of others. Hey, here's an here's a interesting little flash that's kind of fascinating. Human, humanity has always acted like humanity acts. People have always been people. How about that? Paul was dealing with that. We're dealing with that. Hey, stop acting that way, but instead act this way. Don't behave like that. And if he's saying that we ought not to be doing those things, then we know that, that those things are going on in the world. Hey, don't be doing that anymore. Let's, let's act differently. Because we belong to Jesus Christ. Remember verse 1? Because of all these things. Let's act differently. He's reminding these good folks in Philippi that we should act differently. He goes on in the next couple of verses and he says, here's our example. Here's why you do it. You do it because of Jesus Christ. Have this attitude in you. Practice these things. Think this way. Act this way. Be like Jesus, he is saying over and over again here. Well, what did he do? You know what he did. Although he existed in the form of God, he did not regard equality with God a thing to be grasped. In other words, when he was on this earth, he didn't walk around with it written on his forehead, I am God, be nice to me. Treat me properly, I'm God. He didn't, he didn't use that. He didn't demand certain things because he was God on a regular basis. He did not consider a thing to be grasped. He said, I'm going I'm to put my attributes on hold for a while, and I'm going to come to the earth, and I'm going to minister to people. And so Paul says, don't, don't, Look out just for yourself. Instead, be like Christ who looked out for other people. He emptied himself. He took on the form of a bondservant. He was made in the likeness of man. He came to earth. You know what he did. He humbled himself, and you know that he died on the cross. Be like Jesus Christ, Paul says. Christ, who had an exalted position, gave it up for other people. And Paul says to the church in Philippi and those folks there, he says, hey, you need to do the same thing. Remind each other of this regularly. Paul understood that, didn't he? 
Paul was a guy who did that very same thing in giving up. Paul was a guy who had a lot as a, a Jewish leader, and he gave those things up to follow Jesus Christ, and he ended up in prison on multiple occasions. He gave those things up for Jesus Christ. And he's saying, let's follow Jesus. He gave up for us. Let's give up for him. That's the issue. That's what it is. He gave up for us. Let's give up for him. We can do that. Verse 9 through 11, he says, because of what Jesus did, because he died on the cross, because of all of those things, God highly exalted him. Gave him a name which is above every name. And isn't that the truth? Jesus Christ. It's, it's a name that is above every name. It's a name that is revered and cursed. It is used as a curse word. It is, it is one of those things that's above every name. That's why it's used that way. And the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus, every knee will bow. Every knee will bow. Of those who are in heaven and earth and under the earth, that every tongue will confess, every single tongue will confess that Jesus is Lord to the glory of God. You know the really cool thing about that passage? We read that passage and we say, man, look what God's going to do. And he deserves it. Jesus deserves to have every knee bow and every tongue confess. You know the cool thing about that? We have an opportunity today to do it right now. We know truth and we can be worshiping, bowing our knee and using our tongue to confess that Jesus is Lord on a regular basis. Because we know who he is. Isn't that something? We get to live that out right now. Right now in amazing, remarkable ways. That is so cool. Paul goes on then. He, he talks about some theology issues, and he goes on and he says, now, you, you guys really behaved yourself well while I was there. He said, just as you've always behaved, not just in my presence, but now much more in my absence, you behaved when I was with you, you behaved when I was gone. Now I'm challenging you and urging you that you would continue to do that. And this is what he says. Work out your salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who is at work in you both to will and to, to work for his good pleasure. What Paul is saying, and this is an important thing for us to learn and practice and know, is that that God has put into you, you work out. God has saved you. He's given you the Holy Spirit. He's given you gifts. He's given you abilities. He's given you the desire. He's given you the wisdom. Now you work it out. People ought to see Jesus Christ in you. Work out your salvation and do it, he says, with fear and trembling because you understand that God's the one that's done that. You are blessed. You are believers. You are saved. Now work out that salvation, all that that God has put into you. Work it out. Let it go out. And God puts in more and you let it go out. That's what this is saying. It says let your Christianity shine, that people would see Jesus in you. Okay, this, people would see Jesus in you. Then he says this in verse 14. Do all things without grumbling or disputing. The prisoner Paul is reminding the folks at Philippi who are not prisoners, hey, you should do all things without disputing and grumbling. I just want to remind you that there's a, there's a way to live. The prisoner is reminding them that. Can you imagine how our world would be different if we actually did things without grumbling or disputing? I mean, honestly. Can you imagine how our families would be different if we did things without grumbling or disputing? Can you imagine how our churches would be different if we did things without grumbling or disputing? Can you imagine how we as individuals would be different if we did things without grumbling and disputing? Can you imagine what life would be like if we stopped grumbling? 
if we stopped arguing for the sake of arguing, can you imagine what life would be like? Totally different, isn't it? wouldn't it? And Paul, the prisoner, says, hey, here's an idea. Why don't you stop grumbling and disputing with one another? Work out your salvation. Let Jesus Christ shine. Stop grumbling and disputing. Flip over with me to Romans chapter 2. Or 12, excuse me. Romans chapter 12. Romans chapter 12. Verses 1 and 2, and these are verses that you're pretty familiar with. It says, Therefore I urge you, brethren, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies a living and holy sacrifice acceptable to God, which is your spiritual service of worship. Verse 2. And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, so that you may prove what the will of God is, that which is good and acceptable and perfect. Do all things without grumbling and disputing. He says in verse 2 of chapter 12 of Romans, don't be conformed to the world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Let the word of God change you regularly. Let this transformational thing take place on a regular basis. And he says then, he says when that happens, you might be able to prove what the will of God is. That which is good and acceptable and perfect. As you live your life without grumbling and disputing, you know what you're doing? You are proving that God knows what he's doing. That the will of God is a good and perfect and acceptable thing. That's what you're doing. You're living that verse out. Stop grumbling and disputing. And show the fact that God knows what he's doing. And people look and say, apparently, there's a great trust for God here. Because they're living their lives without grumbling or disputing. Those are words from the prisoner, Paul. Let's go back to Philippians. Verses 19 through 30, we kind of talked about already, but what I want to say about these verses now is this. Paul, in verses 19 through 30, tells his friends in Philippi and explains to them the incredible value, the incredible value of close, faithful friends. Let's take Timothy for a moment here. It said, uh, Timothy in verse 20, he says, there's no one else of kindred spirit who is concerned for your welfare. They seek after their own interests, but not those of Jesus Christ. And so that is by implication saying that Timothy is a man who seeks out for the interest of Jesus Christ. <clears throat> in verse 21, or excuse me, in verse 22, it says, you know that Timothy has proven his worth that he has served with me to furtherance the gospel, that he has served like a child and his father. He, Timothy's a good guy. Timothy's a wonderful man. Timothy was the one that was willing to help Paul and to serve. Epaphrodites. Epaphrodites was a brother and a fellow worker, a fellow so soldier, a guy who was willing to do what needed to be done. Here's what I want you to understand. Without Timothy and Epaphroditus, there's no Paul. If we don't have the Timothy and the Epaphroditus of the world, we don't have the Pauls of the world. Maybe God's asking you to be a Timothy. Maybe God's asking you to be Epaphroditus. 
We read through Scripture and look at this and we think, man, be Paul, that'd be cool. Yeah, that'd be kind of cool. But maybe God wants you to be a Timothy. Maybe God wants you to be the guy who helps the guy. Maybe you'll never be the guy, but you can be the guy that helps the guy be the guy. That's an incredibly important task. Incredibly important task. Without the Timothys and without the Epaphroditus, there is no Paul. Understand the importance of being a faithful friend and a servant and a helper. Understand the importance of being willing to put yourself down a little bit and allow somebody else to be raised up and exalted a little bit and you be the support person for them. That's incredibly important and valuable and needed in our world. And it very well could be that God's asking you to be that kind of a person. That's okay. Maybe Paul's asking you to be, or excuse me, maybe God's asking you to be a Paul kind of a person. And if that's the case, look around and find your Timothys and your Epaphrodituses. Find those people. They're going to help you be who you need to be for the Lord Jesus Christ. It takes every single person to be who the body should be. Are you willing to be that person that God has asked you to be at any given moment? It is important that you do that. Chapter 3. The letter continues. Paul says, Finally, my brethren, rejoice in the Lord. To write the same thing again is no trouble to me and is a safeguard for you. Beware of the dogs. Beware of the evil workers. Beware of the false circumcision. For we are the true circumcision who worship in the spirit of God and glory in Christ Jesus and put no confidence in the flesh. Although I myself might have confidence even in the flesh, if anyone else has a mind to put confidence in the flesh, I far more, circumcised on the eighth day of the nation of Israel, the tribe of Benjamin, Hebrew of Hebrews, as to the law of Pharisee, as to zeal, the persecutor of the church, as to the righteousness which is the law, found blameless. But whatever things were gained to me, those things I have counted as lost for the sake of Christ. More than that, I count all things to be lost in view of the surpassing value of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things, and count them but rubbish, so that I might gain Christ, and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own derived from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness which comes from God on the basis of faith, that I might know him, and the power of his resurrection, and the fellowship of his sufferings, being conformed to his death in order that I might obtain to the resurrection of the dead. Not that I've already obtained or have already become perfect, but I press on so that I may lay hold of that which also I was laid hold of by Christ Jesus. Brethren, I do not regard myself as having laid hold of it yet, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and reaching forward to what lies ahead, I press on toward the goal of the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Let us, therefore, as many as perfect have this attitude, and if anything, you will have a different attitude. God will reveal that to you also. However, let us keep living by that same standard to which we have obtained. Brethren, join in following my example and observe those who walk according to the pattern you have in us. For many walk, of whom I often told you and now tell you, even weeping, that they are enemies of the cross of Christ, whose end is destruction, whose God is their appetite, whose glory is their shame, who set their mind on earthly things. For our citizenship is in heaven from which we also eagerly wait a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform the body of our humble state into conformity with the body of his glory by the exertion of the power that he has given to subject all things to himself. As we went through chapter 3 here, 
did you did you did you catch some of those things in there that made you say, yeah, this is this is somebody writing a letter to people he knows. This is somebody writing a letter to people he's comfortable with. Uh, you know, he, the way he uses some of his phrases and, and the way he uses some of his words here in verse 2, beware of the dogs, the evil workers, beware of the false circumcision. This is a conversation that apparently he had with them a long time ago, and he's just saying, hey, remember we talked about that? Watch out for these people. The way that he uses the terms at the end of this chapter, and their destruction, is, is their God is their appetite, their glory is their shame, they set their mind on earthly things, they're enemies of the cross of Christ. I tell you, weeping, that you need to watch out for these people. This is a friend writing to some people he knows. So in chapter 3, he says, Rejoice in the Lord. Finally, my brethren, rejoice in the Lord. To write the same thing again to you is no trouble to me, and it is a safeguard for you. Interesting verse. Interesting phrase. To write the same thing is no trouble to me. What's he talking about? Well, I believe he's talking about the idea of rejoice in the Lord. I think that he says, finally, rejoice in the Lord. To write the same things, again, is no trouble to me. It's a safeguard for you. Rejoice in the Lord, because that's what he's already written here. Now, he's about to talk about false teachers, and he deals that, with that throughout his letters, but I think that it's rejoice here that he's talking about, that I want to repeat to you, rejoice. Paul's frequent exhortation toward rejoice. Some things need to be repeated and repeated and repeated and repeated and then repeated again. And maybe later on, repeated again. And one of the things that need to be repeated to those who belong to Jesus Christ is rejoice in the Lord. And again, I say rejoice. It needs to be repeated a lot. Because this old world can be a joy-sapping place, can't it? And so we need to be reminded on a regular basis, hey, rejoice in the Lord. Yeah, I know that the things of life are beating you up right now, so I want to remind you to rejoice in the Lord. You remember what he did for you? Review those things again. You remember your salvation secured forever? You remember when you die, you get to go to heaven and be with him forever? You live eternally with him? Rejoice in the Lord. Rejoice. I say again, rejoice. Yeah, I understand that there's some circumstances that are bringing some tears and some sorrow to you right now, but in the midst of those things, rejoice in the Lord. And as you walk through those things, rejoice in the Lord. And as you get past those things, rejoice in the Lord. I just want to remind you of that. Here's what's the fascinating thing about this particular verse. At the end of it, he says, you know, it's really not hard for me to tell you to do this over and over again. It just kind of flows from me. But one of the reasons I tell you to do this over and over again is because it's a safeguard for you. It's a safeguard for you. Rejoicing in the Lord keeps you where you need to be. Now, you think about that for a while. And you think about your life when you are grumbling and disputing. And then you think about your life when you're rejoicing in the Lord. Which one puts you where you need to be? Which one keeps you away from those things you need to stay away from? Which one's going to help you as you deal with the issues of life? Which one's going to make you a pleasant, wonderful person, and which one's going to make you somebody that nobody wants to be around? You are on a path when you go down those two things. 
So Paul says, hey, you should try rejoicing in the Lord. It's a really good thing, and it's a safeguard to you. The Bible in the Old Testament, we read that the, the, the joy of the Lord is your strength, it says. Nehemiah says it. It says that in Psalms. Uh, it, it says that in First Chronicles. The, the joy of the Lord is your strength. And until I put this together, that never really hit me. Until I was working my way through this, and I've taught, I've taught on this verse many, many times. It, it just hit me that that's, that's exactly right. When we are rejoicing in the Lord, we have a unique strength that guards us from so many things. Because our perspective is right. Our attitude is right. Our philosophy is right. And when those things are right, our actions, our behavior, are, they're going to be right as well. Rejoice in the Lord. Rejoice in the Lord. That doesn't mean that you're not serious about life. Life's serious. You've got to be serious about life sometimes. That doesn't mean that you don't have tears and, and you're weeping and you're sad. Life brings those on sometimes. But the Bible tells us on a regular basis, you don't go through those things like those without God go through those things. You go through them differently. And you rejoice in the Lord. If nothing else, rejoice that you have somebody who cares for you in the depths of your sadness and your difficulties that you can talk to, who will listen and care. Rejoice in the Lord. Matthew Henry says this. He said, The joy of the Lord will arm us against the assaults of our spiritual enemies and put our mouths out of taste for those pleasures with which the tempter baits his hooks. You can tell he lived a long time ago, can't you? The joy of the Lord will arm us against the assaults of our spiritual enemies and put our mouths out of taste for those pleasures with, with which the tempter baits his hooks. The joy of the Lord is a safeguard to you. It truly is. I can testify to that, and I bet virtually everybody in here can testify to that. When I'm rejoicing in the Lord, life is totally different. And when I'm a grouchy, old, selfish, whatever, I, life is totally different. And we all know that. It's a safeguard. Rejoice in the Lord. Well, let's move along here. He gives us some warnings in 2 through 6 against false teachers. And again, it's kind of a refreshing thing to understand that, that what we face today are things that have always gone on. False teachers always have and always will exist. They've always been around. And he says, watch out for them. Watch out for them. Have you noticed in the Bible... Jesus had absolutely no patience and no tolerance and really no kindness toward those who were false teachers. Paul had no tolerance and no kind words toward those who were false teachers. Those that are leading people astray with falsehood, they just, they, they are, they're not tolerated. False teachers are terrible. And he says, watch out for them. Be very careful about that. Verses 7 through 11, the question is simply this. Paul is reminding them what he, what he did, who he was in, in, the, in the previous verses there, and then he says, whatever things I gained, they were, these things I've counted as loss for the sake of Christ. I, they're, they're unimportant. They're insignificant. Here's the question. What are you willing to give up for Jesus? What are you willing to give up for Jesus? You willing to give up some time? 
You willing to give up some activities? You willing to give up your arrogant pride? Are you willing to give up your standing that you think is so important? Are you willing to give up your schedule? Are you willing to give up some finances? Are you willing to give up your prejudices, your hatred, and your lack of forgiveness, and your, your hanging on to this or that? What are you willing to give up for Jesus Christ? Paul said, I consider all things loss so that I can gain a knowledge of Jesus Christ. <clears throat> Excuse me. What's that knowledge worth to you? What's that relationship worth to you? You willing to give up some TV shows, some movies, some music? Willing to give up the way you use your time? Willing to give up those passions and pleasures that <clears throat> maybe you shouldn't be associated with anyway? You willing to give up those relationships that are taking you down a bad path? What are you willing to give up for Jesus? Paul said, I'm willing to give up everything. Everything. I want to jump down <clears throat> to the next passage, 12 through 16, and, and Paul's words are press on. Press on. Boy, as much as we need to hear the words, rejoice in the Lord again, I say rejoice, rejoice in the Lord again, I say rejoice, as much as we need those words, <clears throat> we need these words too, don't we? Press on. Don't stop. Keep going. Paul is writing some of these things, and, and it's kind of interesting that in, in, in context here, a letter to his friends, he's, he's been saying, I'm willing to give up everything for Jesus. And then he says what? But I want you to know I'm not there yet. I'm not there yet. Press on. Keep on going. You can always become a little bit more mature. You can always love Jesus a little bit more. <clears throat> you can always serve him a little bit more. You can always give a little bit more. Press on. You're never done. As long as you're on this earth, you're never done. Press on. Continue, continue, continue for Jesus Christ. Paul said, I'm not there. I want to encourage you. You're not there. Press on. Verses 17 through 21 the prisoner Paul reminds us of perspective. Perspective. He helps us see things clearly. And he does that especially in verses 20 and 21. Our citizenship is in heaven. Our citizenship is in heaven. How do you see yourself? Where do your loyalties lie? You are a citizen of the kingdom of heaven first, and a citizen of the United States of America, second. Your loyalties need to lie with Jesus Christ. Life is a matter of perspective, he says. Matter of perspective. Ask God to give you a good perspective over and over and over again. Let's finish this up. Chapter 4 is pretty short. Therefore, my beloved brethren, whom I long to see, my joy and my crown, in this way stand firm in the Lord, my beloved. I urge you, Odia, and I urge Synthesy to live in harmony in the Lord. 
Indeed, true companion, I ask also that you help these women who have shared my struggle in the cause of the gospel together with Clement, also and the rest of my fellow workers whose names are in the book of life. Rejoice in the Lord always, and again I say rejoice. Let your general spirit be made known to all men. The Lord is near. Be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication. With thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all comprehension, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Finally, brethren, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is of good repute, if there is any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, dwell on these things. These things you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things, and the God of peace will be with you. But I rejoice in the Lord greatly that now at last you have revived your concern for me. Indeed, you were concerned before, but you lacked opportunity. Not that I speak from want, for I have learned to be content in whatever circumstance I am. I know how to get along with humble means. I also know how to live in prosperity in any and every circumstance. I have learned the secret of being filled and going hungry, of having both abundance and suffering need. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. Nevertheless, you have done well to share with me in my affliction. You yourselves also know, Philippians, that at the very first preaching of the gospel, after I left Macedonia, no church shared with me in the matter of giving and receiving, but you alone. For even, in for even in Thessalonica you sent a gift more than once for my needs. Not that I seek the gift itself, but I seek the profit which increases to your account. But I have received everything in full and have an abundance. I am amply supplied, having received from Epaphroditus what you have sent, a fragrant aroma, an acceptable sacrifice, well-pleasing to God. And my God will supply all your needs according to the riches and glory in Christ Jesus. Again, very personal in this section. The prisoner says in the first couple of verses here, stand firm in the Lord, stand firm, stand firm in the Lord. And then he asks us to think about this. Is that thing which divides you really all that important? Is it really all that important? Do you really need to be divided over that thing? Rejoice in the Lord, he says. Again, I say rejoice. Hey, keep on rejoicing. It's a really, really good thing. Verses 6 and 7 Amazing words from a person who understood this truth. Be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all comprehension, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Now you know we're going through this thing the way we're going through this, but there's a sermon plus in those verses. I mean, that, those are good words. These are amazing, amazing words. And these are words we need to take to heart. The prisoner tells us and told those in Philippi, don't be anxious, don't fret about things, but rather talk to God about them. When you're starting to feel anxious, when you're starting to feel like life is spinning out of control, talk to God. Pray, the Bible says. Take all of your thoughts to God by prayers, supplication, thanksgiving. Talk to God. Let your requests be known to God because he's the God that says, I care about you and I want to know what you want to know. I want to know what you think. I want to know what you want. I want to know you. Talk to me. I want to know you. So make your requests known to God. And then the most amazing things happen. When you stop fretting and worrying and talk to God and give those things to God, there's a peace of God that comes upon you that cannot be explained because it's spiritual in nature. God is doing this amazing thing. And God 
will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Now, honestly, who doesn't want that? Everybody who does not want the peace of God, everybody who does not want their, their, their um, hearts guarded and their minds guarded by Christ Jesus, take three steps forward. Who's going to do that? Everybody wants guarded by Jesus. That's a great idea. What do I got to do to have the peace of God? What do I got to have? What do I got to do to make sure my mind and my heart is guarded by Christ Jesus? Well, what you need to do is you need to stop fretting and give all of your cares and concerns and worries and fears and ideas and thoughts to God. That's what you need to do. That's all I have to do? That's what I have to do. This needs to mark our lives. The prisoner is saying, this is what should mark your life. Verse 8, the prisoner Paul is saying, and by the way, make sure that you think on things differently than everybody else because from the thought flows everything else. That's what Jesus taught us. Guard your hearts because from it flow the issues of life. Guard your hearts. What are you thinking about? What are you thinking about? Maybe you need to adjust the things that are going on in your life so that you think about the right things. That's why scripture reading and scripture memory is so incredibly important. That's why praying is so important. Guard your mind. Think on these right things. Because as you, as you think, well, that's, that's who you are, the prisoner, Paul says. Verses 10 through 14, the good folk at Philippi had taken care of Paul. They had provided for him on many different occasions. And Paul said, I appreciate that very much. You took care of me on a handful of different occasions. You're taking care of me now. You guys are good friends. I really appreciate it. But Paul then says this in verse 11, Not that I speak from want, for I have learned to be content in whatever circumstances I am. Isn't that the truth? If there's anything we've learned from Paul in studying in Acts and reading the epistles, it's that Paul has learned to be content in whatever circumstance he finds himself. Oh, that we might be there. And he says this, I know how to get along with humble means, and I know how to live in prosperity. In any and every circumstance, I've learned the secret of being filled and going hungry, of both having abundance and suffering need. You've learned the secret of that, Paul? You've learned the secret of how to be filled and going hungry, of how to have abundance and suffering need? What's the secret, Paul? The secret's found in verse 13. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. Do not take this verse out of context. You are not able to jump 10 feet in the air all of a sudden because Jesus Christ lives inside of you. But you are able to learn to be content. You are able to learn to live under any circumstance because the power of Christ is in you and strengthens you. You're wondering sometimes, how do I do that? How do I get to that point? The power of Christ in you you have Christ, and you can do all things through Christ who strengthens you when it comes to dealing with the issues of life. Circumstances that he's talking about here. And the prisoner Paul, he modeled that over and over and over again. I do want you to point out, to point out that it says that he has learned how to do this. This is a process. He learned how to live this way. It's a process. It may take a while, but you can learn it just as well. A life that is Jesus Christ-powered, not a life that is circumstance-powered. Which one are you going to live? Which one are you going to live? 
He wraps up with some personal words that we read in 15 through 20, and then he says farewell in verses 21 through 23, and simply says some kind words at the very end of his letter. In prison, writing a letter, encouraging people. We're going to continue this exercise. We're going to go to Ephesians starting next week, work our way through that, and find some of those neat gems and jewels that prisoner Paul gave to the folks at Ephesus. Father, thank you very much for the way that you worked in the life of one called Paul. How amazing. And yet we read today that you also worked with Timothy and Epaphroditus so that Paul could do the things that you wanted him to do. Thanks for using us today, just like you used them. Open our eyes and show us those opportunities. Open our eyes and show us those challenges and those things you'd have us to do <clears throat> for your glory. Father, we do thank you so very much that you have made us citizens of the kingdom of heaven and that you have given us the Holy Spirit that we might learn how to deal with the circumstances of life. Grow us in our faith. May these words, your words, be used to encourage us and to help us along the way, we pray in Jesus' name.